Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 167, brand three in A Game of Thrones. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You know, I didn't realize how short this chapter was. It is so full of only just banger quotes. Yeah. It is like a quick dip. It's such a famous chapter that people have like discussed often for obvious reasons that I forgot that it was so brief. It's funny because the first two chapters feel so iconic for Bran. Like they're very much like, this is a game of thrones, but this is, it's the awakening. It's the fucking moment. It's the moment for Bran. This This is what- This is the moment. It's not that. It's not that. (laughs) It's very poetic. Lots of prophecy, poetry, creepiness. Can't wait to talk about it. But first, let's get through some quick housekeeping. Speaking of houses. Oh my god, we'll join our houses. So, Patreon episode this month. We are working on getting that announced for you. Uh, Patrons will hear about it probably before- the next episode, the next brand episode, I would say. So keep your eyes peeled, but patrons over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon have access to bonus episodes every single month in the stranger tier and above, the $5 tier and up. Last month was Mothers of the Dragon, or affectionately MILFs of the Dragon, talking about the mothers of some of the Targaryens in Fire and Blood, part one. And we still don't know what this month will be, but it'll be good. It'll be good. That's I'm it. fully confident in that. I think we're just a little, we're off track because we, God, we've been doing hot D. We've been riding yeah. hot D all, all the last month. House of the Dragon, the fire and blood. Exactly. So as part of housekeeping, be sure to check out those episodes. Of course, we are speaking in full about fire and blood. Spoilers, 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 but this is a spoiler podcast, too. I mean, yeah. we're pretty... I mean, it's a reread podcast. It would it's be very difficult, I think, to do the order we are doing. Yeah. The way we are formatted. For the first time. <laughs> you have not read these books at all. Yeah, we you are could. an acquired taste, but we taste fucking good. Do we? I don't know. I don't know. I'll connect it to cannibalism later. Well, we'll I'm, sure. I'm sure. I'm um, sure. Uh, every Friday, you know what tastes great? House of the Dragon weekly episode discussions hosted by our friend Maddie at our patron discord for patrons and the Thunder tier and up. And that's a $10 tier and up. If you join this tier, you get a handful of perks. Uh, You get a gift every year. It's a lifetime discord membership, basically. We're not kicking you off. And uh, there's events every week, 2 p.m. ET, House of the Dragon discussion for till the season ends. Oh, God, it's horrible. Also, monthly brunch slash happy hour. Yeah. And this month's brunch slash happy hour is uh, this coming Sunday, Sunday, September 18th, from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So be sure to check it out. Yeah, we'll be gallivanting this weekend. First, we got a trip out. We're taking a little trip together, just like Bran here. He's taking a trip or oh a fall. Gosh. I mean, uh... <laughs> Hopefully that fall. doesn't happen to us. I hope not. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, and then Sunday's brunch. Hyped. We're excited. Can't yeah. wait to see you there. Again, that's patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And otherwise, we're back with Bran right now. We are. We are. And I know we read a couple of emails and tweets and notes last time. I haven't gathered any sorry for this week, so 
Uh, we didn't have too much. You know, our, our good friend Jimmy, they're back at it with their reviews every week <laughs> the on Twitter. of the week. I always, I always love seeing what Jimmy has pulled out every yeah. week. Yeah, they really do a good job of capturing some of the stupidest stuff we say. That's why, why I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Check it out. You'll always see it if you follow us over at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N on Twitter. You'll see uh, under the episode, the weekly episode poster announcement, our good friend Jimmy. They are always there with those little reviews back at it, and I love it. Let's get into it, right? Let's fall right into it, just like Bran. Let's start with our lightning round, which is a little like this episode in terms of you can really see everything that's going on. Tyrion won. Tyrion pays respects to the Starks and hopes Bran may yet survive. Same. John 2. John's respects to Bran go uh, less smoothly after an uncomfortable encounter with his stepmother. He says goodbye to Winterfell and Rob and Arya specifically. Daenerys 2. Daenerys marries Cal Drogo. Eddard 2. Ned remembers the sack of King's Landing for what it was when Robert is called to make a decision regarding Daenerys Targaryen. Tyrion 2. Tyrion heads north with Jon to see the wall and gets off on maybe the wrong foot with him. I wasn't sure where you were going with gets off. Gets off, yeah, yeah. I thought about that too. Yeah. Catelyn 3. As Catelyn reaches her emotional limit, she must summon a greater strength and delay Bran's would-be killer with an assist from his wolf. Sansa 1. Sansa goes on the perfect date with Prince Joffrey until they come upon her ever-so-wicked little sister, that is, siblings. What a drag. Allegedly. I hear. Don't quote me on that. We're living life. Eddard 3. Eye for an eye, or wolf for a wolf, goes down at the trident when Joffrey, Arya, Sansa, Micah all have a little scuffle. God, a few weeks from now we'll probably see another Joffrey on a screen having a scuffle. Oh my gosh. A wolf for a wolf. That brings us into Brand 3. Trippy as hell, fly or die, the time is now. Bran felt like he'd been falling for years. A voice whispers to fly, but he doesn't know how, so he keeps falling. Like Maester Lewin's clay doll Bran. And as we've discussed in the previous episode, you're getting already those ripples of the broken man theme coming through. Especially with Bran's storyline. I kind of forgot that the clay doll has such importance for the first couple episodes. And Having it be Bran is one thing, right? That Bran is falling, the doll falls, but also it's a literal loss of innocence with the doll, right? The show did something interesting with Sansa where Ned gives her a doll and she's like, this doll's fucking stupid dad, and then he dies. Rip. And one night, Blackwater, Sandor comes to her room and she's holding the doll and drops it. And, like, it's a very small detail, but that D&D remembered the doll, but didn't remember a lot of other things. But but that they remembered the doll. That was very interesting to me. That was, you know, obviously loss of innocence. Blah, blah. And right there, Bran's plot. There's not only a doll Bran, but also a doll. His, his childhood has been smashed upon the ground, just like him. Just like him! <laughs> just like him. Uh, the ground is so far below. Barely visible through gray mists. I'm just putting that out there. Gray mists, what yeah, could it, it mean? Yeah, a couple of times. Blood raven. Uh, three-eyed crow, I guess. Through Grey Mists, he knows what awaits him below. Even in dreams, you can't fall forever. There's no sun, no stars, and only the ground. Cold, dark. I can't fly, he says. The voice asks him, how do you know? Have you ever tried? A crow is spiraling with him, following him, and he asks for its help. But the crow responds and says, say, got any corn? 
So I think that this is likely barley corn, which uh, refers to like, you know, grains of barley and not maize, like the new world crop of corn on the cob. It's so interesting you say that, Aliana, because I specifically walked over to you today to record this just to argue with you, <laughs> only to argue in that I don't agree. Absolutely don't agree. And here is my proof of why I don't agree, and I'm going to break it down, not only from book canon, but in a symbolic way as well. <clears throat> now for my opening argument. Crows are known to fuck people's corn and lives up, Eliana. They are so good at fucking people's crops up. Now that could still be barley corn. You are almost right, yes, in that. But I do think it's corn because of the last chapter. There were crow's nests atop the broken tower, where no one ever went but him, and sometimes he filled his pockets with corn before he climbed up there, and the crows ate it right out of his hand. None of them had ever shown the slightest bit of interest in pecking out his eyes. I feel like this paragraph is really important in the climb to this chapter. <laughs> the climb, like Miley Cyrus. Uh, but corn also, you know, associated with harvest, fertility, bounty... Uh, like the harvest feast that's upcoming, and I mean, really symbolic in Bran's storyline, right? The harvest king himself, or corn king, corn king. But the language is kernels following this. To top off that imagery of plentiful harvest, it's golden kernels, not unlike Bran, as the, the harvest corn king himself falling through time with magic surrounding him. Bran reached into his pocket as the darkness spun dizzily around him. When he pulled his hand out, golden kernels slid from between his fingers into the air. They fell with him. I think that everything that you've said, though, like, in regards to harvest and fertility, like, those can all be associated with wheat and grains and barley as well. And it does occur like that in a lot of literature. That is how it's used. And also, I think George does a bad job of this, but he tries to not use New World crops, right? Like, mm -hmm. we don't have tomatoes, etc. Though we do have peppers, and we have a turkey, even though George forgot he had a turkey. That's true. He literally forgot he had a turkey. He's like, yeah, you'll, you can tell there's no turkeys. And we're like, I don't know, George, that's wrong. So Realistically, my argument on its own sounded less bare than just telling you he fucking says kernels in the next line, Eliana. Yeah, <laughs> but it could be like a different kind, you know, kernels, like, pre like mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I just think depends, but also since George isn't consistent with what's in the new role that, that he's decided to put in this, it could very well be like the maze kind of corn. Mm-hmm. I would say the kernels give it away. Okay. I personally am a kernel stance on this. You're a kernel stan. Kernel stan. Vote in stand. at home, you know, oh email us at girlsgonecanon <gasps> at gmail.com, tweet at us, DM us, get in our Discord, and fight. This is a new schism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, corn. This is what's tearing us apart. I mean, we're a pretty corny podcast. Let's think about it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bran goes to offer the crow some corn from the dreamscape. And as you said, golden kernels slide from his fingers. As George him, said. And the crows <laughs> eat from his hand. Bran asks if he's truly a crow and asks if he's truly falling, just like I ask, is this truly corn? Bran says it's a dream that he'll wake when he hits the ground, but the crow disagrees and says, oh, you're gonna die. <laughs> so he goes back to eating corn and Bran begins to see a world below him with mountains peaked with white, rivers in the woods, and he closes in his eyes and cries. And the crow tells him, this will do. Fly, not cry, you dumb kid. The crow's doing it, why can't he? It's funny because looking at this from 
the outside. Looking at it now, like, imagine how frustrated Blood Raven is with him all the time. He's like, you stupid idiot. I'm being metaphorically literal. Like, why, <laughs> what don't you get about it? Because it's such, like, kids don't think like that. Yeah. Kids don't. <laughs> if Blood Raven really, really cared about it happening, he would have been way more helpful than just being like, eh, I'm just going to eat a snack and hope it works out this time, right? Like, I don't think Blood Raven's a super serious dude. Well, and he hasn't really been around kids in a while. That's also true. Like, years and years and years and years. And also, to top it off, like, he never seems like he has the demeanor that he would have understood a child in that candor. But I all I'm sorry, I'm, now I'm just imagining Blood Raven being like, fuck, you sent me a fucking savior, but it's a child? I think, yeah, I just think he's a jokesy dude, right? Or also, does he, like, not care? He's just like, I don't know, it might work out this time, it might not, because if you look, there's so many of the the dreamers down there who didn't fly, and you see, like, huh, here's another one. Yeah. There's another one for those uh, for those rocks. And then maybe afterwards, after he wakes up Bran, he's just like, Finally. We did it. <laughs> yeah, Euron was a hard one to his self-esteem, probably. It's gonna get harder, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bran feels like the crow is being really unfair. He's like, yeah. you have wings. <laughs> the crow says, maybe you do, too. Bran gropes around himself for feathers, and then he sees his limbs, wondering if he was always this skinny. No. You're in a coma. Uh, <laughs> and a face swims out of the gray mist to what? him. Shining with golden light, the things I do for love, it says. Bran screams, and the bird screams back, telling him to forget that for now. And the shining face disappears as Bran falls even faster, afraid, asking the crow what he's doing to him. So, obviously, we've been waiting for a long time for Bran to remember this memory, which has been suppressed in this supernatural coma dream. But I do think it's telling, right, that the crow tells Bran to put this memory away. And as he does so, Bran starts to see his family, like, in real time. Because otherwise, with the limited amount of time that he has before, you know, he, he hits the ground, he'd focus on what happened in that, like, super terrible moment, and on the pain, and, like, how it broke him or whatever. And, and that would lead for him to fall and die. Instead, he sees the Starks. He ends up seeing the danger in the north, and those of the those together, like the crow tells him that's why he must live. And it's not just about addressing the danger, because again, the crow's redirecting him of like, don't pay attention to that. Look at all these look at all these people that you love mm -hmm. and who love him. And that gives instead Bran something to live for and therefore to fight for when it comes to that danger, right? Like it's the connections that Bran has that end up keeping him tethered to this world and life and He'd never see any of that if he focused instead on that moment of pain and hate, which is what a lot of characters do in this story. And it's kind of interesting that the last the last lines that he remembers of it are the things I do for love, because that's what keeps Bran alive, the things that he will do for love. Yeah. It reminds me of when I was a kid. I got my tonsils out when I was four. I thought you were going to say, like, you were thrown out of a window. When I was thrown out of a window when I was four. <laughs> that's what it fucking felt like. I remember going in. I mean, I remember a little bit about it. I can see it in my head. And I can see, like, the days surrounding it, which is interesting. Because interesting. now as an adult, I mean, I'm just thinking of, like, the first invasively traumatizing thing I can think of. And that was age four. And I remember, like, going in and they gave me the strawberry gas. They're like, it's going to smell like strawberries. She's going to knock you the hell out. And they count backwards, and they ask you to do it with them. Like, count with me backwards. Ten, 
nine. By eight, I was out, by the way. Mm-hmm. I was, like, completely out. But it's a very, like, anyone who's been put under for anything, it's a very disorienting experience. And I remember coming to, and I remember, like, I do remember eating mashed potatoes for, like, a week and popsicles, because that's all I could. But, you know, you have to go under because it's such an invasive thing that's happening to you that your body has to react to and then your body has to heal from. And with you being alive, you wreck it because your body's natural response is to fight against it. Yeah. And Bran himself is, like, having to fight against dying and living right now. And Blood Raven Mm -hmm. distracting him helps. And it's a greater metaphor, like you kind of implied, of, as adults, too, that happens. Like, you have to get over your fucking bullshit in order yeah. to excel in life. And I think that's interesting that on a magical level here and a body level for Bran, mm-hmm. and it, it almost sidles him in and glues him into what's to come because when he wakes up, he has to get over all that, too. He's going to yeah. have a lot of frustrations over not being able to use his body anymore and about the limitations of his world and how he no longer has that bodily autonomy that he used to enjoy. He had to learn to fly a different way. So in a way, it's a blessing. In a way, it's going to be a curse when he wakes up, too. And for understandable reasons, he's going to mostly think of it as a curse, those first few chapters, as we Mm -hmm. read them. And I think the first time, I was afraid of laughing gas. I was like, what is this going to be like? But it only happened to me when I was much older. I was like, oh, this is just like smoking weed. And maybe I, that was a... said that too much and it was very like lame and embarrassing of me (laughs) (laughs) i wonder like it's interesting so i haven't had laughing gas like that the good shit is that not with the strawberry gas it basically is i mean but when i was a kid like i spent so long wow anyways i spent so long of my life of my childhood wondering what fucked up surgery or whatever do i have to have in my life next that I get to be put under with that again. You're like, hell yeah, <laughs> strawberry gas. Every surgery or anything I've ever had since that has been with annoying, like, not even the good stuff. The yeah, last time I was put like... under was, like, completely under was, like, a shot in the mouth. Oh, that's In my sucks. roof of my mouth. I don't like that. It was that's horrible. Terrible. And then my mom was, like, in the recovery area with me afterwards. And, you know, I'm gushing, gross, bloody, whatever, you know, because, like, they have to change your gauze out, whatever was going on. Yeah. I had, like, weird things, gro- teeth growing, peg teeth growing in wrong places. They were like, oh, we gotta fix you. Um, so my mom, like, was sitting there, and they came to give me more pain medication, because it was time, and they do it again, and it was very crazy, because they were just, like, they just, like, shot it in the roof of my mouth, and it was so weird, because you have a different response to that medication usually. Mm. And some people get, you know, really giddy or weird or loopy. Yeah. And then some people get horribly upset. Were I'm gonna you let upset? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember crying and like look at my mom like sobbing like mom and she's like, honey, what's wrong? I'm so sorry. She was like so emotional because I was like 13 or some shit. She's like, I just wanna help. Like, how can I help? I'm so sorry. And she's in tears. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it was classic. It was classic. But th- this does remind me of that. of like yeah. surgeries and like being in between. Yeah. I mean, because I've never been in a coma necessarily. And like, those are the only fun things I have. Th- those two stories. I don't have, you know, the rest of my health history. I'm what? sure we'll talk about it over the next POV, but. Horrible. You never have an experience like this, so. It (laughs) is horrible. Fly or die. Fly or die, Mom. So, anyway, uh, yeah. The crow tells Brand, oh, no, 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 you're doing it. You're flying right now. And Brand's like, uh, no, I'm falling. 
I'm falling. And then across like every flight begins with a fall. And orders Brynn, oh, look down. And so Brynn does. And I do really love that. I love that line of, and the idea that flight begins with a fall. You know, that leap of faith stuff from Spider-Man, the Spider-Verse. And also, you know, that idea of bravery that comes back in at the end of this chapter. Life is flying slash falling, whichever way you look at it. I love that. I do feel like I'm just falling through life sometimes. Yup. When I was younger, it didn't really feel this way. Like, it was, it didn't go this fast. Mm. Now it's just, it's gone. Oh my god, where'd it go? Last week was last week, and now we're here? Yeah, we Holy are here. fucking shit. We're here. So we're gonna do something for the rest of this episode. That which hopefully is... doesn't get us in trouble with any sort of copyright. Oh my god, <laughs> I really don't think that. <laughs> Great, now they're gonna hear copyright and scan our episode, <gasps> Eliana. Uh... We're just going to read pretty much the quotes of the rest of the chapter, because this is a banger. It's a classic. There's no way that I can just paraphrase for you what it is, because there's so much language, imagery. Everything is just crucial to all of this, and it's a very short chapter. So, why don't we kick it off? The whole world was spread out below him. A tapestry of white and brown and green. He could see everything so clearly that for a moment he forgot to be afraid. He could see the whole realm and everyone in it. He saw Winterfell as the eagles see it, the tall towers looking squat and stubby from above, the castle walls just lines in the dirt. He saw Maester Lewin on his balcony, studying the sky through a polished bronze tube and frowning as he made notes in a book. He saw his brother Rob, taller, stronger than he remembered him practicing swordplay in the yard with real steel in his hand. He saw Hodor, the simple giant from the stables, carrying an anvil to Mickens Forge, hefting it onto his shoulder as easily as another man might heft a bale of hay. At the heart of the godswood, the great white weirwood brooded over its reflection in the black pool, its leaves rustling in a chill wind. When it felt Bran watching, it lifted its eyes from the still waters and stared back at him knowingly. He looked east and saw a galley racing across the waters of the bight. He saw his mother sitting alone in a cabin, looking at a blood-stained knife on a table in front of her, as the rowers pulled at their oars and Sir Roderick leaned across a rail, shaking and heaving. A storm was gathering ahead of them, a vast, dark roaring lashed by lightning, but somehow they could not see it. He looked south and saw the great green rush of the trident. He saw his father pleading with the king, his face etched with grief. He saw Sansa crying herself to sleep at night, and he saw Arya watching in silence, holding her secrets hard in her heart. Wow, things do not look good for the Stark family right now. <laughs> you know, there's a lot in there yeah. that, like, when I read this, I don't think I read it with the idea that, like, damn, this family's about to die off. I was like, everyone's real sad. Uh, maybe maybe that has something to do with Sometimes I wonder, like, does that have something to do with what Bran did see in the heart? You mm-hmm. know? Like, in some, like, gooey hatred kind of way. Gooey as in feelings of love versus hate, which mm-hmm. we're always talking about. Like, he's looking into the dark side for a second of it all. Yeah. Because even when you talked about, like, how he looks at his family and he stops it to stay connected, you know, it's that, that, yeah. that beginning the pack survives mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what anchors him and draws him back. But here, maybe because he's feeling hurt and broken within him, like, he's also seeing their hurts, their pains, yeah. their tragedies right now. And 
They're broken. They are. Up right now. The part. But they're all anchored around him. He's the roots right now that's sewing them into what Winterfell's yeah. help, like heart is. The heart and hearth of it. And even that symbolism, right, of the storm that they see. A vast dark storm and the lightning strike in the middle of it. That reminds me very much of Robert. Oh, and interesting. Yeah. It says, what does it say here? The exact is lashed by lightning, but somehow they could not see it. So he's watching them in their grief, and above them, a dark storm has started to gather, lashed with lightning. And they yeah. don't see it coming, but he does. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. So this is great because this is the first thing he sees. He doesn't quite see what that means. And yeah. later, the sea coming to Winterfell, he starts to understand, does this mean something? Are these metaphors? Which, you know, to Bran's credit, he's like seven. And I don't think they started teaching me metaphors till I was nine. <laughs> what? <laughs> And I'm still yeah. out here trying. <laughs> We're still out here trying to teach people what, and and, and me. Yeah. I'm still learning every day. No. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, that's a pretty complex idea for a kid. Uh, Jojen Reed tries to teach him, this is a metaphor brand when I tell you this story. Are you sure you don't know this story? Because I was pretty obvious about it all. Jojen Reed, like, didn't you read the wiki before we got together? I sent you the links, Bran. Yeah, check out the spark notes. Oh my god. Um, also, I like that Hodor's in this. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Especially carrying the, the anvil, because to me it's yeah. very strong. And Maester Lewin, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where's old Dan? Ungrateful. Ungrateful, Bran. So, before he sees all of his family, right? When he looks up for that first moment and he, he sees the whole realm... We have this line of, for a moment, he forgot to be afraid. And that feels important, considering, again, how this ends and what he learned from Ned about bravery. And I'm kind of wondering, like, does it work? Because, like, is flying meant to be a moment of bravery, right? Like, even the kind that happens even when you're afraid. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's like some of those other dreamers who are down there, maybe they couldn't fly. Because they reveled too much in the power of being able to see everything and they were distracted and they couldn't fly because they wanted to and wanted that moment and there was no bravery in it. I don't yeah, know. like the connection, having your heart connected to it. Like because Bran has uh, an yeah. emotional stake in what he's seeing and the events unfolding below him and that I yeah. mean, the three-eyed crow at this time of when it was written, but Blood Raven basically, that Blood Raven knew to have the sense that like Honestly, this is such a stupid reference, but it reminds me of being a vampire in Twilight, right? Because they have sensory issues, or being ADHD, like me, that I have sensory issues too much at once. I get distracted. People talking at the same time as I'm trying to think or trying to do something while also other things around me, motion, people, it's a lot. And you need to be able to focus on one thing. And for, I guess, for the heart of it to be that he can anchor himself to his family and come back to Earth, at least in that way, planetos. At least in that yeah, way. Yeah. I think that makes him more focused on one mission and the purity of it, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's something very pure in a child. Just, like, experiencing something so vast and huge for the first time and how they filter it. Yeah. Let's get into some of that metaphorical language, right? There were shadows all around them. One shadow was dark as ash with the terrible face of a hound. Another was armored like the sun, golden and beautiful. Over them both loomed a giant in armor made of stone. But when he opened his visor, there was nothing inside but darkness and thick black blood. 
This is such a passage that's been picked to death by everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone has. has a take. Everyone has a take. It has. And I don't really know. I think there's, like, some obvious takes of it, but at the same time, maybe not. I don't think I have anything new to add to it. I'm gonna be real, but I'm gonna talk about it anyway, because I just feel like it, right? And obviously, one of them's pretty fucking obvious. Yeah. One of them's well, very <laughs> obvious. And the other one, right, the giant armor made of stone, that's probably Gregor, but also I think that's something George Garden, the, the mm-hmm. whole Robert Strong thing. And, I don't know, on some days, like... I think that the person armored like the sun is Jamie, and then on other days I decided, like, through some crazy finangled way, I was like, hmm, the armored shadow in gold is Littlefinger because, you know, he's got a lot of money and gold and all that stuff. But I don't know, rereading this chapter and how Summer's eyes are like into the sun and how this person is, like, armored like the sun. I'm wondering if the golden and beautiful figure should be seen as someone who's, like, actually good. Like, good for them. And then again, on the other obvious assumption, and that I feel in other days, is, like, that's just Jamie. Because he's described as golden and beautiful a lot, especially in this first book. And it's, again, how that positive imagery about the Lannisters is playing on the idea that all that glitters isn't gold, right? Beauty isn't inherently meaning good. Mm-hmm. And especially because that's part of Bran's story as he wrestles with the idea, again, of feeling like he's broken and doesn't fit into how the stories say things should be and has to grow and find the goodness in himself. It's funny because you said it and immediately I was like, are you saying you don't think Jamie could do good? Because good isn't a thing you are. Sure, that's true. I mean, he could be, right? You and thought you were going to finish it for me, Eliana. I mean, I don't know, because... Like, what you do. They're intertwined, right? And yeah. again, like, we were talking about the things I do for love, mm-hmm. right? And how that might influence Bran. I can't believe you haven't come to the other side of this, though, because you were so close, and I'm going to make you come to this side. Come to the side that I see of it, that you were, like, one step away from, I think, a really cool idea. And again, this is probably gardened in a lot of ways. What about... Someone that is good being armored like the sun as an off-the-wall choice. Like someone with the no sun idea. in their sigil. I still don't know who... Uh, Bran? Yeah, beauty only being skin deep. You were literally just talking about Bran and some of these ideals of ways he can't fit into society or the things yeah. he doesn't see. And I'm like, oh, like yeah, Brienne? Yeah. Oh, and I don't think it's actually Brienne. I mean, I think it's Jamie, But <laughs> I think it's about Jamie, And it, I, I think it actually... But in duality, it's funny yeah. because it could be about Brienne armored like the sun. It could be like all these things you just said about beauty being skin deep and finding the good and these acts of good and it's not a pile of good and bad but you know the way you approach with things and what what you stand for and Jamie maybe finding something to stand for in Brienne's way of life too. What she teaches him and what he teaches her. I do think it could it could be Brienne because I do see a lot of ways in which Brand's story intersects with Brienne. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're saying, right, like people who don't feel like they fit into society, mm-hmm. right, for for several different reasons. But the only thing is, like, as you said, right, like George. Totally gardened. Garden. I'm not convinced George knows what any of these figures are except for the Hound. I'm not sure he, he actually knows. It's funny because a lot of people formulate theories off of this, right? Or they use certain parts of it to formulate, this is going to happen. Like Clegane Bull, for example. You know, this was always... Well, I mean, just in in the Sandor-Clegane community, Eliana, I'm (laughs) going to tell you about this. In the specific Sandor community. In the Sandor-Clegane, 
The Standor the Clegane. Community, oh, that didn't work. Community? No, that yeah. sounds like that sounds, It sounded bad, but I needed to see if it would work. It didn't. I know. Um, Clo-munity. <laughs> yes. The Clo-gane. Anyways. Ooh, Clo-gane. Interesting. That's your new ship name. Adorable. <laughs> But we, there, there's a lot of theories of, like, what will happen with Sandor and his brother and Clegane Bull. It always comes up, and this often is used because, you know, Sandor's in it in the front. Now, again, it's funny because now, yes, it's face of ash, dark as ash, right? The shadow is dark as ash. So that's how you know fire. It's the hound. Yeah. But, again, in the future, that could have been Brienne if it weren't for the ashen face, you know, with her scarred face, the terrible face of a hound, with her taking the hound helm and reclaiming it. Oh, that's it. so true, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Coming back to some of these broken men vibes, it's definitely gardened. He abs- I don't even know that he was convinced about Brienne being such a big character at this point. I think he, maybe she existed in his mind, but I just don't think, you know. I wonder, yeah. I don't know, because like, she is introduced pretty early, right? Book mm-hmm. two is pretty early, but... Yeah. I just, I I don't know, because like... A lot of people say Oberyn, right? Armored like the sun. I don't Golden know that he's on over and he's... Yeah, I don't know if he existed either. I, I'm not convinced George knew what this meant. I think <laughs> he... for the hound. ...had thoughts and ideas, but I, yeah. I mean, no, I think it's really Jamie. And he can... Obviously, he might change his mind and retcon some of it, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. the John... John beheading Janos Slint, ending up tying back to Sansa saying that she hopes some hero will behead Janos, mm-hmm. right? Because originally he was going to hang him, but... Yeah. I don't know. It's fun. It's a fun passage. I like this one. I mean, that's the most fun about this entire chapter is all of it is <laughs> yeah, just true. chock full. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So next. He lifted his eyes and saw clear across the narrow sea to the free cities and the green Dothraki sea and beyond to face Dothrak under its mountain to the fabled lands of the Jade Sea to a shy by the shadow where dragons stirred beneath the sunrise. Finally, he looked north. He saw the wall shining with blue crystal and his bastard brother John sleeping alone in a cold bed, his skin growing pale and hard as the memory of all warmth fled from him. Big sad. What's interesting about this passage is that idea of he sees a shy by the shadow where dragons stir beneath the sunrise. I always thought that was an interesting line because I always was like, until I saw something else that basically confirmed that Danny's dragons are the only ones currently living in the world. I was like, so there are other dragons that people can just like go all the way to the other side of this continent and go get and bring back? That doesn't seem that hard. <laughs> I mean, we do learn there are eggs. There are eggs, yeah. To be fair. But I also took it that there were dragons stirring when I first read it. I guess it makes sense that the magic that awakened the dragons, or the blood magic that was awakening them, possibly, could also be of shadow binding, right? So maybe the magic is connected to a shy by the shadow because of that, especially with, like, Melisandre in the next book. I just realized right now, as I looked over at you and looked at this as, with us talking, I think I've been reading this line wrong my whole life until this very moment. And I think it's because it's ambiguously written. To the fabled lands of the Jade Sea, to a shy by the shadow, where dragons stirred beneath the sunrise. It me- means where dragons used to stir beneath the sunrise. Had stirred. Having had, had stirred. Back then. But because everything else is in the same tense... Mm-hmm. 
This it's kind sneaky. of past tense. It was very confusing. There's also something interesting. So later with Quaith, right? The language of yeah. the glass candles are burning Daenerys and telling her soon they come. Blah, 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 blah. But also the locations. Like, obviously we haven't gone to a shy by the shadow with Daenerys. Quaith kind of references it, you know? And it makes you wonder. This is another one of those. Like, this passage, House of the Undying, Quaith. These are all some really interesting, prophetic kind of passages going on that we get yeah. to analyze. And it almost... Free cities. Danny's been there. Mm-hmm. The green Dothraki Sea and beyond to vase Dothrak under its mountain. Been there. And then the Jade Sea, a shy by the shadow. She hasn't quite gone there. But Quaith kind of almost references, girl, yeah. these places. I don't know if she'll go or not, but I, I know George has told us that we will see a shy, but he didn't say that we will go to a shy. Mm-hmm. So a vision or a prophecy. Or, or... someone's memories. Yeah. Oh, like Mel. Mm-hmm. I forgot about Mel for a yeah. second. Oh, how dare. How dare. I'm sorry. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm sorry to the Melisandre fans. I'm sorry that I've sinned. It's been ten minutes. Okay, one minute. Ten seconds since I sinned. And, yeah. <sighs> I do think that the the John stuff is also interesting. Again, evokes that language from House of the Undying with the the blue chink in the glass ice. Mm-hmm. This does seem like initial John death foreshadowing. Absolutely. And I, I I do think he knew that he planned to kill him at some point. I think yeah. I think he knew that. Yeah. He knew that. Maybe <laughs> not the in between, which is why we have a dance with dragons. But he knew that. He did yeah. know that. And it's interesting that he's likened to an other himself, right? His skin growing pale and hard as the memory of all warmth fled from him. And it's not lost on me that also that line reminds me of Rhaegar dying. Oh, Um, interesting. What's that line? You know, uh, a man sink to his knees and murmured a woman's name. You know, that's that's how that feels. Very similar romantic, poetic kind of imagery. Well, also, as you say, like the memory of all warmth. And it kind of feels like there's a lot, especially in this book and the next book, that uses cold and warmth right as as metaphors for love and the absence of it love and hate mating not necessarily hate but absence of it right because or loneliness mm-hmm. coldness being loneliness especially in Daenerys' story and i'm like isolation exactly the memory of all warmth fleeing from him speaks to his isolation in this moment but also you know we've discussed what kind of memories do whites retain and that being different in fire whites and ice whites so interesting so the next the next passage that we have here for you, um, please do not take us down. And he looked past the wall, past endless forests cloaked in snow, past the frozen shore and the great blue-white rivers of ice and the dead plains where nothing grew or lived. North and north and north he looked to the curtain of light at the end of the world and then beyond that curtain. He looked deep into the heart of winter, and then he cried out, afraid, and the heat of his tears burned on his cheeks. Now you know, the crow whispered as it sat on his shoulder. Now you know why you must live. Why? said Bran, not understanding, falling, falling. Because winter is coming, 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 coming. Bran looked at the crow on his shoulder, and the crow looked back. It had three eyes, and the third eye was full of a terrible knowledge. Bran looked down. There was nothing below him now but snow and 
cold and death, a frozen wasteland where jagged blue-white spires of ice waited to embrace him. They flew up at him like spears. He saw the bones of a thousand other dreamers impaled upon their points. He was desperately afraid. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? He heard his own voice saying, small and far away. And his father's voice replied to him. That is the only time a man can be brave. Now, Bran, the crow urged, choose, fly, or die. Death reached for him, screaming. Bran spread his arms and flew. Bro, this chapter was so good. When I read this chapter for the first time, I mean, all respect to David and Dan for writing the entire story and George adapting it from them back in the day. Sure, I'm just kidding. Sure. This is a joke. God, the joke has gone too far. Yeah, I, well, I love that George put this in. You know, that David and Dan didn't ad- put this. And they didn't adapt, George, you George, know. yeah, really expanded upon this. Really, really fun stuff. No, jokes aside, this is like... <laughs> It is. Jokes aside. (laughs) Scholarship aside here. Um, It's just so good. When I read this for, I mean, this, this and winter is coming when he says, because winter is coming, like throw the fucking book kind of, it, it it feels so crazy because all to this point of the book, you know, you're like, all right, meet the characters, meet the families, meet the people. Oh, intrigue, incest. Okay, okay. And then this, and you're like, what the fuck did I just read? Yeah. What? Absolutely. And you're like, wait, what's happening? I can't believe people, no offense if you're one of these people, but like, I can't believe people don't think Bran's storyline is interesting. Like, you get this chapter, and how can you not find Bran's storyline, like, interesting? Can't relate. I cannot once relate to yeah. that. This is, I mean, it's everything a fantasy story should be. And obviously we had, like, snow zombies, ice zombies at the start, right? So that sets off the fantastical bit, and you got the incest, and the intrigue, and the feasts, and the, the different places and locations, and the lost princess. That's great. It's all good. I love all that, but this is the moment where you realize it's a different kind of fantasy series. This is the moment. Oh my god, not again. But it is, though. Like it, it, I, I do think it's the time you realize that it's different. This is a different story than what you've read, and it's not in some aspects yeah, I was like, that will I don't break know, this down. seems pretty typical. Yeah. Having a prophetic, like, crazy dream seems pretty typical of fantasy, but it's a great, it's a great dream, and yes. it's wonderfully written. And how it also ties back to that first chapter, right? And and really creates this emotional arc about choice, but also, you know, he has to choose, he has to fly or die. And choice is something that, as we'll see, right, is a big part of the story. You were talking about Bria, and I was like wondering, is there a way that this kind of ties in at all with um, no chance or no choice? But, I mean, he does have a choice here, right? It's a shitty choice, though, but... Fly or die. <laughs> well, okay. Well... <laughs> So one or the other, we gotta do it. And also that Bran takes that choice seriously after what he's seen. He doesn't decide, like, oh, this is some crazy dream. Whatever he was shown makes him realize, like, this is real and I have to be brave. And 
Also, I just love the language here, right? As we were saying, like, it's so wonderfully written. I love that line of death reached for him screaming and that he escapes it, right? And then right after this passage also as like the wind comes below him and it's so beautiful. And I also find it just like this interesting personification of death. It's it's not just like on the intellectual level of like religious level of the stranger. And we don't really see death portrayed like that too often. Like the, the entire concept of death personified through like in that way i love that he's running from his death in this manner right like death came for him oh that's interesting it makes me think of so much different poetry right like death came for me and i'm just nope out goodbye not today not today if you will not today the entire passage the entire chapter in my opinion and even brand's entire arc really is reminiscent of T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Mm. It is a 20th century modernist piece. I mean, one of the greatest of its times from 1922. It's about 64 pages. It's five different parts and contains a ton of allusions to Ovid, Dante, Shakespeare. It goes from prophetic to satirical. You know, it's emotional. It's also funny. I mean, we get a scene of voyeurs at one point that we'll talk about. Uh, It still loops into Brand's plot in some aspects, I would say. We'll talk a little more about the Fisher King at the end of the episode, right? But, of course, there's the general fantastical bit of he's the last in a long line charged to protect a holy grail, becomes physically disabled, and is sometimes represented as, you know, spending his time fishing, waiting for a chosen one to come heal him through uh, a test of sorts. And I find the wasteland, it's very litty, despite T.S. Eliot's general horribleness as a human being, you know, his anti-Semitic qualities... He fucking sucked, but man, that goddamn man could write a fucking poem or two. It's so reminiscent of Bran, and I want to break down part of it. Uh, Bran's arc, as well as some of the other seers in the story, has a lot of those same themes. So part one is the burial of the dead, introducing disillusionment and despair. And this feels so important, especially to the passage we just read. Yet when we came back, late from the hyacinth garden, your arms full and your hair wet, I could not speak, and my eyes failed. I was neither living nor dead, and I knew nothing. Looking into the heart of light, the silence. So definitely evokes looking into the heart of winter. Mm -hmm. Part two, this is, all right, stay with me on this, Eliana. It's called a game of chess. Mm -hmm. I I mean, mean, George really likes chess. Yeah, and that... Seriously, I'm serious when I yeah. say, like, oh, it's literally a game of chess. Like, From pawn to player. Also, our friend Hamfest uh, was gonna, once upon a time, write a couple of essays about George Asphalt and chess. Yeah. Well, there's also something more that a game of chess, the way it's written, it's actually written from POVs, Mm. from alternating narrations. And they're just, like, vignettes basically addressing the different themes. So, The Song of Ice and Fire, that book called A Game of Chess, I mean, A Game of Thrones... One of my favorite bits from this is, you know nothing? Do you see nothing? Do you remember nothing? I remember. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Are you alive or not? Is there nothing in your head? Just really great language, especially the pearls in the eyes. Makes me think of the sapphire and the blue crystal that's associated Mm. with the north. And it does remind me of Simeon's star eyes. Yes, that crystal in the eye, northern motif that starts to come up. Or Amen. Wow. Um... The fire sermon is the next part, which is very much about death and imagery and self-denial. And it's actually inspired by Augustine. 
of hippo and uh, lots of Buddhist themes, tons of Buddhist themes. And there's this great part from Tiresias, one of the great prophets. So that's interesting because, you know, prophets and watching someone fuck total voyeurism, which we'll get in this story from Bran in some aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, for those listening at home, this is the part, the fire sermon, is where Isle of Dogs stems from. The movie? Movie slash the West book Anderson? slash, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's uh, also a book, but hmm, it, it's, yeah, it's amazing, though. It's the best movie, and you need to watch it, because it will be your favorite. Hmm. I don't think so. I have a new favorite movie. What is it? It's everything everywhere all at once. No, you'll love this though. It's all about dogs. Yeah, but I don't think it'll eclipse that. <laughs> we'll see. Well, well, that's true. That does. It's yeah, I get that. <laughs> but it is good. Like it might, it might be up there. Okay. So the poem, not about dogs, <laughs> believe it or not. I, Teresius, though blind, throbbing between two lives, old man with wrinkled female breasts, can see, at the violet hour, the evening hour that strives homeward and brings the sailor home from sea. I just love what it evokes with him being blind and throbbing between two lives, because that's what Bran's doing right now. He's throbbing between mm. two lives, somehow existing. Yeah, and I forgot there's that line, right? Like, the something he speak in many voices. Mm-hmm. What is that? He do the police in different voices. That's that's what the, the line is. He do the police in different voices. And that, uh, that kind of speaks very much to, like, what you were saying of, um, you know, there's a POV structure, but also in regards to how Bran will be able to really see the lives of different people, right? Like, mm-hmm. the Wasteland the wasteland is a verbal collage. Yes. I would say. Um, and yes. it's interesting the way that you've tied it to, again, those alternating POVs, because I kind of have always felt that George's writing of A Song of Ice and Fire and how it leans into that subjectivity as opposed to that objectivity mm-hmm. is very much in the tradition of modernist literature. Modernist literature was a break from uh, a lot of the way that literature was done before, in which there was the idea of an objective truth and and there was less of a focus on that, like, the way that a professor described it is, like, uh, you know, previously writers might write about, like, the glass. Modernism was interested on the fingerprints that were on the glass. I'm yes. Like, oh, I love that. Yeah. And a, I fucking love that. The fingerprints on the yeah. glass. And a lot of it was in reaction to the way that World War One broke the world. And and I mean, even Tolkien's mm-hmm. writing is in that is a reaction to that. Though I wouldn't necessarily call Lord of the Rings, which I've not read, uh, modernist. Right. Um, it's not written in yeah. that same genre and style. But uh, I mean, George is writing. Mm-hmm. He's writing in that way of a the way that war is a shattering and Bran's life right now. Very shattered. Yeah, it evokes, I mean, themes that are modern, but that are timeless. These are timeless themes that he's evoking through the classic story of Bran in a way that, yeah, yeah it's not, like you said, objectivity, it's subjectivity. And the final two parts of the poem of The Wasteland also really remind me of Bran's plot, Death by Water, which has lyrical hmm. petitions, and then what Thunder said, the final section, which is about judgment. So that oh, feels significant. But so Death by Water, I, I'm one of my favorite bits from this. Forget the cry of gulls and the deep seas swell, and the prophet in loss, a current under sea, picked his bones in whispers as he rose and fell. He passed the stages of age and youth. Hmm. Which Bram is, you know, he's ascending, transcending through that. Bram is transcending age and youth right now. And... 
the final section, what Thunder said on judgment, to me that ties it together, especially because of this passage and the exact quote in the language when Bran wakes up. Uh, when Bran wakes up, the first thing he's focusing on is the servant with the long dark hair, right? It's an exact kind of passage. This part of what Thunder said, this shook me. Man, when I read this today, I was rereading it and I was like, oh, you know George read The Wasteland for this. I mean, The Wasteland is literally in the passage above. He says, wasteland in it. So it yeah, just makes yeah. me, it really evokes it that you read out. this. Yeah. A woman drew her long black hair out tight and fiddled whisper music on those strings. And bats with baby faces and the violet light whistled and beat their wings and crawled head downward down a blackened wall and upside down in air were towers tolling reminiscent bells that kept the hours and voices singing out of empty cisterns and exhausted wells. I mean, that's Winterfell. That's him seeing Winterfell and coming back to Winterfell as he awakens and sees the servant. Yeah, he. you can see uh, the way that poetry like this and, and this one likely influenced the way that George was approaching writing this, right? Like, it, it is prose. It is prose, but he's, he's drawing on poetic devices mm -hmm. in order to write it, which is why there's such strong metaphor. And, it's clever, yeah. actually. Yeah, and, and again, like, that idea of it being fractured in a collage, it's seeing it all at once, and... I also want to say, you know, I, I, we will probably revisit this poem one day when we, if we ever cover the poetry of his dark materials. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to talk about this in that episode someday. Yes. When we curate it for Patreon. Yes. Um, and that would be a bonus episode, yeah, for patrons. Stranger tear and above. But not that stranger. We're talking about the horse. Oh, that stranger. <laughs> Well, suddenly invisible wings carry him upward, and Bran realizes, oh, he's flying. And then the three-eyed crow flies alongside him. He was not helpful, at all. right? Uh, especially because he cuts Bran's ecstasy short, right? He's like, nothing was better than flying. It's kind of reminiscent of when Danny finally mm -hmm. flies. And mm -hmm. Yes, yes, take me. Yeah, but not quite like that. The language but is it not is, like though. that. It, it, it is, but not as sexual. This is not a sexual scene, especially as, um, you know... Is it like, does the bird cut it short because Bran cannot let the world fall away too much, let everything become too small, become too distant from the people, we still need to see them, but also, is the bird just an asshole? <laughs> it's like, you're having fun, let me cause you great pain and flap in so you can't see anything. I Look, don't know. He was still gardening Bloodraven's personality, okay? <laughs> I think this is his personality. Like everyone No, he thinks... is kind of just a prick, and I love that, like a yeah, silly prick. I think he's pretty funny. And Rye in the Mystery Night. I like that he does... Well, he is. He's, like, sarcastic and dry. Yeah. I think that's funny. Like, he, he's yeah. amused and yeah. bemused at the same time. That's what he's that's like. Yeah. yeah. I think, actually, Bloodraven was gardened from this crow, to be fair. Like, the crow became Bloodraven over time. Bloodraven right. should be so lucky. Yeah. To be this borb. I love the idea that he's pulling him back out, because later, what does he tell him? You know, if you stay too long... Oh, you get so lost. True. And yes. you can't dwell also on your family the whole time, especially if he has a greater purpose and it is for other people than just the remaining Starks. Like yeah. you you have to go back and focus, but he used it to tonally bring Bran, you know, bring him on that vibe. Be like, Bran, vibe this way for a second. You're gonna get overwhelmed if you look at everything at once. Okay, now that you know you're real, that you exist, this is just like doing acid. Um, now that you know you're real, Bran, and you exist, and you're not fake, 
Everything is real. Look, I'm showing you real things. You're real family. Now let's go back to the task at hand. Yeah, and then gives him no guidance from there on after. <laughs> no, not uh, for a couple books. like, yeah. good fucking luck getting up here. Let's talk about that final passage that we have. Well, it's not the final one. We have one more after this, but... It took to the air, flapping its wings in his face, slowing him, blinding him. He faltered in the air as its pinions beat against his cheeks. Its beak stabbed at him fiercely, and Bran felt a sudden, blinding pain in the middle of his forehead, between his eyes. What are you doing? He shrieked. The crow opened its beak and caught at him, a shrill scream of fear, and the gray mists shuddered and swirled around him and ripped away like a veil. And he saw that the crow was really a woman, a serving woman with long black hair. And he knew her from somewhere, from Winterfell. Yes, that was it. He remembered her now. And then he realized he was in Winterfell, in a bed high in some chilly tower room. And the black-haired woman dropped a basin of water to shatter on the floor and ran down the steps, shouting, He's awake! He's awake! He's awake! Bran touched his forehead between his eyes. The place where the crow had pecked him was still burning, but there was nothing there. No blood, no wound. He felt weak and dizzy. He tried to get out of bed, but nothing happened. And then there was movement beside the bed, and something landed lightly on his legs. He felt nothing. A pair of yellow eyes looked into his own, shining like the sun. The window was open and it was cold in the room, but the warmth that came off the wolf enfolded him like a hot bath. His pup, Bran realized. Or was it? He was so big now. He reached out to pat him, his hand trembling like a leaf. When his brother Rob burst into the room, breathless from his dash up the tower steps, the direwolf was licking Bran's face. It's gonna eat him. A hand trembling like a leaf. Interesting. Hmm. I didn't notice that until yeah. until you read it aloud. A uh, little reminiscent of leaf. Leaf themselves. Yeah. Uh, leaf her alone. <laughs> also, I mean, a weirwood leaf is what it reminded me of. Mm. Truly. Yeah, yeah. And the leaves rustling constantly with wind beneath between them. I mean, when they rustle, it's supposed to evoke like someone's watching you and like there's something spiritual moving up there. So his hand trembling like a weirwood leaf. Well, also because uh, I remember our friend Joe Magician like really writing and calling out that the leaves look like little bloody hands. Yeah. And then there's that like one scene we didn't, I don't think we grabbed that one, but where he does see, maybe we did and then I just like forgot. He looks at the weirwood and then like its eyes turn. To it looks him at him. Yeah, we talked. We, we read it. Yeah. Uh, that one was so. That one's. I so mean, that entire passage I love that. is so yeah. good. Sorry, a tree staring at you. We're we're coming back all the way to the beginning again. Oh, I wonder if all the trees like would see him in this dreamscape world or something. Probably terrifying. Everything can see him. I'm mm-hmm. guessing in that scape. Oh, kind of like a. From my knowledge, you know, of watching the movies, is it like, the Nazgul can see you in Lord oh. of the Rings when you put the ring on. It's interesting because we do talk about like how everything could possibly have one power source, but all transmuting that power differently. Yeah. Like, as far as religions and yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like this isn't a religion at the moment, right? This is just him. This is just a spiritual world or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And later, you know, he and Melisandre do see each other. Yeah, that's in that spiritual exactly, world, exactly on great that point. plane. This is just one plane that we all come to in life. You know, there's one spiritual plane. Everyone can walk it. They just have to learn how to fly. 
to fly. Everyone can fly. Don't fall. <laughs> That's a thing. Uh, yeah. It's a choice to fly. We're all falling, but we can also all fly. Just gotta open your eye, Eliana. Yeah, got it. Wait, wait, hold on. None of you at home can see this, but... Boop! Uh. <laughs> I booped her. She did, in between the eyebrows. Um, pack, pack. Thankfully she did not claw at it. I thought about it. But, I mean, yeah, absolutely, right? Like, the, the place, that area, right? The third eye, mm-hmm. knowledge, you know, being able to see in the supernatural and spiritual sense. I feel like I don't need to explain this to all of you. Um, Listen to our HDM episodes. Well, also, I just feel like people kind of, you Get all it. know. You all know what this means. And also, I want to talk about, call out Stephen Atwell's coverage of this chapter right uh in it he discusses the change in brand and talks about the context of how brand seems to be going down like the storyline this this archetype of a wounded mistake but also connections with the fisher king from arthurian legend and i'm sure that we will discuss all of this further but i do want to you know get that in here talk about it mention it now and also call out that a uh, clash of critics has a great extended discussion on disability and a song of ice and fire there's also that double entendre, right? It's very cute, very fun of he's awake, not only speaking to, oh, he's literally coming out of this coma, but awakening, of course, mm-hmm. that third eye. And there's also something kind of fun here. I don't think this is something that George is doing intentionally, but I don't know. Probably not. Of how Bran, he looks down and sees nothing there, no blood, no wound. Then you have another line of says nothing happened and how he felt nothing, right? And that, I think that's really interesting, that hollowness that he's feeling, and how everything has like fell away, but you know that those changes versus the everything that he has just experienced through this power—the nothingness of the waking world, the everything of the dreaming—but also there's this thing in Shakespeare and the language English spoken during the early modern period, in which nothing was pronounced like noting or whatever, mm. and it was a pun meaning. Vagina, because the the idea was like that. There's nothing down there, right? This idea mm-hmm. of nothingness, and it's it's quite uncanny if you think about it. But brand seeing nothing down there really, I think, if if we look at it in the context of that pun on vagina, speaks to something we will probably talk about more throughout Brand's storyline of emasculation and disability, right? It obviously comes up a lot in Tyrion's storyline. It's an ongoing discussion within the text of A Song of Ice and Fire in general, right? We see it in Doran's storyline, as we've discussed, of how men and boys who cannot perform martially, right, are seen as not true men. Mm -hmm. What makes a man? I mean, Brand's plot starts with that, right? When can a man be brave, Dad? Mm -hmm. What makes a man super fucking brave and masculine like what is, what's a man yeah what is a man and etc like that is literally yeah. part of the very beginning of his plot and then this happens to him and now he has to make that for himself he has to design what a man is in his life because mm-hmm. then his male role model is dead so and then the next one and then the next one well, and then the next one he has one that is dead but is still around for example cold hands for now, yeah, that, that's Technically true. Technically dead, but here. <laughs> Great role model, too. Really knows how to cook some pork, hey, if you will. Hey. Teaches <sighs> him how to think and eat our friends. Back, oh my god, this is back in 2019. <laughs> Eliana and I did an episode, and I kind of remembered it. We actually talked about it the other day in passing. 
I almost remembered this happening, but she even forgot that we did a, an episode. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. I'm about to blow your mind. Get ready. I'm going to open your third eye right oh now. Oh my gosh. Third eye blind over here. I am. Well, before Eliana goes like Bran and is a jumper on it. Um, get it? Because falling? Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is a lot. This is a lot right now, Chloe. It's a segue. <laughs> what, you can make them and I can't? <laughs> oh, it's only okay when you make bad segues? Bullshit. <laughs> Uh, we did an episode on prophets, prophecies, and seers. It was our 10th Patreon special bonus episode. It happened. I'm looking at the outline right now in <laughs> I'm my hands. I'm trying to remember this episode. I'm so sorry. This is so bad. It blends with the Halloween episode to me. I remember the Halloween one. Okay. You know? I don't know why. That one, like, I always remember. I don't remember. You need to brush up on your GGC lore. But I we know, did an right? episode Big discussing <laughs> prophets, okay. prophecies, seers. If you want... You should check out our back catalog of these episodes. I should lots. check out our back catalog. Yeah, <laughs> take a leaf out of that book. Uh, we talked a lot about Bran and the Three-Eyed Crow and a lot about some of the Taoism elements there, right? Mm. The mind's eye tuning into the correct vibration of the universe and in return gaining a solid foundation to reach, you know, more advanced meditation levels or Hinduism where the third eye is the higher state of consciousness you know, referring to the gate that leads to inner realms and spaces of higher consciousness, and specifically Shiva. Shiva destroying the world by opening his third eye. So a lot of what you're saying that, like, there's also darkness that Bran's seeing. He's not just seeing the light. He's seeing that absence of light. And it is a fine line, right, that when he, if he opens his third eye, it could destroy the person who happens to see the vision, like Shiva. And even seeing that tree see him, right, where he looked into the dreamscape and the dreamscape looks back. It reminds me of that tree of knowledge we discuss in the Prophecies, Prophets, and Seers episode, which is like Diners, Drive-Ins, Dads, but Prophecies, Prophets, Seers. Uh, we discuss good and evil, right, in kind of the regard of the tree of knowledge and the fall of man with flight versus falling, like man's fall, the entire fall of man and eating from that tree of knowledge and all of those thousands of bones of the seers down on the ground that you talked about and we read about, I mean, they fell. They were the fall of man because of that um, power. And knowledge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. You said this, so thank you. I did? You said this. You're so fucking... You didn't connect what it the to the fuck? bones, but you literally... You did talk about the tree of knowledge and Bran's fall a long time ago. Uh, and These I think... These notes are incomprehensible to me. Yeah, well... These are so short. I know. <laughs> They're weird. They're I don't know weird. what my thoughts... I'll have to listen to the episode to find out. Check it out. Episode 10 on Patreon back catalog of special episodes. Prophets, prophecies, seers. I'll put a link in there for you, Eliana. I'll send (laughs) it to you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Stream Girls Gone Canon, Eliana. Yeah, right? Subscribe. (laughs) Hit subscribe. Hit that like button. Oh, God. I love kind of the Holy Grail and Fisher King elements that are coming to this. I mean, hell, Oedipus is technically a Fisher King when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, infertile Kingdom. No watch eyes, out, John. Though. Yeah, watch no out. Eyes. Oh, pack, 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 pack. Oh, God. Uh, I think there's something interesting about Bran and John. You know, we've talked a lot about John and Bran's plots. He keeps coming up. I mean, he's a very interesting and recurring theme in Bran's life that he lives with him for a long time. Uh, and Bran and John both have these elements of the Fisher King and the Holy Grail, right? The Fisher King's whole thing is that, I mean, he's kind of more like an NPC 
in my opinion, the Fisher King is. Like, he doesn't get... In Legends? In Legends, yeah. He doesn't get his own plot. Like, he's just chilling, injured by a lake, and your hero, like Percival, for example, stumbles upon him, and the whole thing is that you have to say mayhaps to the Fisher Mm. King. If you reveal to him, I say the question about the Grail, and here's my question, I state the question, he suddenly, you know, in many Legends, he heals. His injury heals, which is... Not going to happen, obviously. And his kingdom becomes super fertile and booming again, and you, like, awaken the secret kingdom. And so there's a lot of that element with Bran, Mm. especially as he leaves Winterfell, and Winterfell is sacked, burned, and passes hands that, like, this was once a fertile place. The Starks were the fertile people. They provided harvest. They provided hearth and safety to the north. And now with them gone, things are bad, we learn. Right? Things go terrible. And Bran, I mean, even to, you know, the food he leaves, uh, you know, the corn for the crow is one thing, that he always takes corn to the crows, but then the littles leave him food, you know, and he he says, someday I'll repay them. This means so much to me. I understand what this means. I understand what this means to the people of the North, not just to him. Mm -hmm. And so there's something really amazing about the idea of that lost kingdom returning because the Fisher King has been revealed. And we talked in our Alaris episode, I mean, our Pate episode, we talked in our Pate episode uh, about Strider's riddle in Lord of the Rings and how, you know, the Sphinx, what's the riddle? Is it the riddle or the Sphinx? What is the actual riddle? And Strider, you know, in disguise and being revealed to be Aragorn with the poem. I know you don't know what this means, Eliana. Some people will. We talked about it a few weeks ago. But that's also kind of the Fisher King. Like, the Fisher King reveals himself as a king. So there are elements of John in it as well, like a lost kingdom, you know, a bloodline lost. But there's also something interesting in the hero that meets the Fisher King and and reveals the Fisher King and brings this back and asks the question of the Grail. Because Percival, for example, he lives his whole life not actually having asked the right question. And so he, like, goes through life with this small punishment of, like, I could have revealed and gotten the grail and brought all this magic back to the world, but I didn't, and now I just have to live with it. Mm -hmm. And the Fisher King himself is sometimes seen as, like, being punished for his injury for having reached too far in some ways of the legend. Like, sometimes it's because he took a wife when, according to the grail and the guidelines of the grail, he's not allowed to, which is very John, right? And he's kind of made to suffer as a punishment without his kingdom, which does remind me of John's possible exile in some aspects. So I think it's interesting that, you know, the literal character Bran in Percival's lore, there is a character named Bran and he has a cauldron that brings back the dead. So some of these powers have been shifted around and little just like ideas that George is playing with from mythology and from different stories in the lore and Arthurian legend. I do think it's interesting that you have to ask the question, though, and it's like if you don't say mayhaps, if you You're don't, <laughs> yeah, if you don't say something about the Grail. Hmm. Yeah. I really uh, thought there was something interesting in something about Bran and John as being those mixture of heroes in a way. Yeah, them sharing so many similarities, right? And and how, yeah, John is a Targaryen Aaron king, but also a red herring as well. Like even though he's real, he's a real red herring. Yeah. Well, also, like, the idea of him, even now in the story, him not taking Winterfell, right? That yeah. feels like 
the question that you ask when you find the guy with the grail, you're supposed to ask the question. You could take immense power. You could have it all by saying, give me the grail. Where is the grail? Reveal me the grail. He could have that immense power in a heartbeat. Even later with his lineage, he could have the throne. Mm-hmm. And for him to reject his own claim to Winterfell, to his family, to having happiness, to the throne maybe. I mean, that's a very big mayhaps, not to mayhaps. And Bran being kind of involved in that. Yeah, and I mean, Bran also, right, being probably the Fisher King himself, having that echo also with even Theon's mm-hmm. storyline, right? Because sometimes the Fisher King is interpreted as being a sign of impotence, and mm-hmm. uh, Theon literally cannot uh, uh, bear heirs anymore. <laughs> so all of that echoing for these young men and boys in the Winterfell and kind of like, I don't know, but Bran's really not an NPC. None of them are NPCs. No, but I could but see... No, but, but it's just interesting yeah. that it's not, that they, they become the focus, right? Yeah, that because they have their own plots and yeah. heroics to play out. Like, Bran, for me, I see the last hero, you know, that kind of archetype for him strongly, but I do see the Fisher King elements as well. But there's something about the, the reveal and the awakening of the magic and mm-hmm. that, like, Especially for John, like, all John would have to do is ask his brother, you know, or push yeah. his claim with his brother, and that he doesn't would be something interesting. That Bran could be that NPC at the end of the game that all you have to do is ask, my cousin. Yeah. Well, speaking of the last hero, let's talk about the last line of this chapter. Bran looked up calmly. His name is Summer, he said. I love them. I love you, Bran. Okay. Now that I'm sad about Bran and Summer because my eyes are like full of tears of joy because I'm just like, his name is Summer. It's beautiful. Always gonna tear that joy from us. I'm gonna make it even worse, so I'm so sorry. You know how we talked about wolves dying? I don't know this. Well, I refuse to know this. It was literally like last week and the week I before. I refuse to know So this. last week on Tuesday night, you and I were recording... And we talked about it again, about how Summer's going to die someday. And in the first episode, we also talked about it. The week before that, we did it. It was the Tuesday, actually, seven days before that, you and I recorded. Anyways, glossing over that. You know who just died in the literal last chapter? No. Lady. Interesting. So, Ned kills her, right? Yeah. Does the blood sacrifice, gives her a death, looks her in the eye, and Here's her last horrible fucking whimpers. I hate you so much, Cersei and Dad, right now. I hate you guys. But Lady dying and Bran awakening in the next chapter. Hmm. Isn't that interesting that only death can pay for life, that Bran wakes up after Lady dies? That is really interesting. And part of it is, like, you know, really hammers home that narrative, like, sense of where Ned later on is like, what have I done when Catelyn's like, these wolves are actually really important. <laughs> and you murdered one. And that's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like when Danny is going to give the dragon away, everyone thinks. And they're like, no, 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 don't give your yeah. magical fucking mythical beast away. Except Ned did. He killed he, it. He did. He yeah. could have just fed Cersei to that beast. Not yet, but soon. God, so unfair. Um... I don't know, there's something interesting, too, in the idea of, like, Bran having rulership later and Sansa also leading, and, like, Sansa's plot being linked with his magic, that, like, he was able to awaken this eye. And Sansa is, you know, I mean, she doesn't get the same opportunities for magic in the series as her siblings. 
I mean, her connection with magic has, you know, that was cut off with Lady right away, you know? I mean, there are still definitely some moments that maybe or maybe not could be her having some connection to skin changing or warging, but she loses some of that and gets lost in the King's Landing of it all and doesn't have a mentor magically. She has a political mentor. She doesn't get a magic mentor like Bran does. And her connection to her heritage, to everything, gets cut off. But Bran does awaken. Yeah. Sansa's heritage, right, she loses that in terms of the wolves, but she starts relearning it, right? She Mm -hmm. she starts relearning Winterfell as she sculpts it, and then also spending time with the old gods amongst the weirwood trees. And that's that's pretty... It's very northern culture. And... That they build Winterfell everywhere they go. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I don't know, you're probably right that Bran is... Bran's wolf, like, Summer's gonna die, and, like, but I'm just like, but does he have to? Because, like, unlike with D&D, you know, we have the budget, it's just the words, you know? He could just be in there. I mean, that's what's gonna make it that much better, though. Like, because it's gonna be fulfilling. I guess just the aspect of, right, like, especially after reading the Veramir prologue, you see how those deaths really... I mean, they're painful. They impact you, and something happens each time. It prompts you, like, right, remember when he dies inside a thistle? He sees the whole world. But granted, that's also his true death. But does, I don't know, Summer dying trigger something like that? Like, where where Bran can re-enter some dreamscape or some shit? There's definitely, like, I think it's gotta be out of survival. Right? And you bring up a great point with Veramir. Veramir chooses, I mean, cowardice instead of facing his death, which That's true. Bran here kind of ran from his death, but he did face it at first. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he was falling. He was ready to just embrace his death until he was shown another way. But Veramir runs from his death. He's a coward. He goes into thistle to avoid his death. You know, mm-hmm. he's like anything. And I do think that when the moment comes, Bran isn't a coward. He could either abandon his body and go live in summer, yeah. which saves summer, and maybe in some ways he'd want it, but he'd be lost forever to summer. I mean, yeah, it's not a real life to live out, as we kind of have had implied already. And summer, I mean, summer would just have to spend. Summer wouldn't have a life anymore. That's it. Yeah, that's true. That's I mean not, and it goes back to kind of some of the stuff Bran is learning about consent. And just skin changing. He hasn't the learned it yet. He's in the middle of the lesson. He needs to stay in the lesson. In the middle of the lesson. Uh, I mean, and I just want to bring back about the last hero, you know, because one by one, his companions died, then his horse, lastly his dog, until he's all alone. Well, Chloe's companion is about to die right now. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> That's, uh, that's the episode. <laughs> can you shut up about the wolf? Shut up about the wolf! Well, here's to many more. Thankfully, Summer hasn't died. Summer's dying here right now. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's the that end. is true. That is true. It is almost fall. Ugh. Almost. almost. Ugh. We're almost falling. Fall. Well, if you would like to fall into the GGC catalog, please be sure to follow us. Fall! Oh, us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N. Or if you have any thoughts, since, you know, 
Nobody emailed us this time. You can email us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Weigh in on the corn competition. We didn't get an email today. You can also subscribe to us on a podcast streaming platform near you to get all of the updates of when we post, like on Tuesdays for House of the Dragon this season, or Fridays for Public for Bran. You can subscribe to us over at Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or at so many of them. Pick one. Or... You can also always find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where all of these episodes are hosted, as well as some, you know, really, really uh, deep, obscure GGC episodes that are so obscure, I don't know about them. Like episode 10, Prophets, <laughs> Prophecies, and Seers. Yeah, it sounds like it was a banger, though. <laughs> Baby us, we had some takes back then. I don't know if we agree with them now, or ourselves now, today. Apparently I still agree with that take, because I apparently said the exact same thing, and you're like, Eliana, you said this. So I was like, I what? <laughs> uh, unearth all that glory and more over there at Patreon, and hey, if you're in the stranger tier and above, you'll get those special episodes. That's five bucks and up. But if you get into the Thunder tier and above, you'll get a lifetime access to our private Discord server as well as weekly events like House of the Dragon episode discussions or monthly events like brunch slash happy hour, which is happening on Sunday, 9-18-2022 from 2 p.m. ET till 4 p.m. or so. Yep. Till they kick us out of our own Discord. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll see you next week. See? With our third eye. Oh my god. You know, it's hard for me not just to sing Summer by the Manimals the whole time. Oh, I thought you were going to say by Olaf. Oh my god. (laughs) Two types of peoples.